This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. And this is Back With You in the Weeds. My name is John Tennant. Hello, Austin, my friend. Hello, Father John. Well, there you're starting to use that a lot. And there's Shabo. <laughs> Like, good hi, to have hi, you. Hi, Brother John. I'm yeah. going to call you Brother If you John. don't want me to call you Father John, that's fine. No, that's fine. Okay. How about the Most High Reverend? That'll work. That'll work. And King Therapist. Okay. Like, oh my gosh, this is getting bad. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about healing from sexual brokenness. And uh, Austin, Shay, why don't you guys start talking about what we're going to cover today? Well, so yeah, if you've been listening, we're in this series on beliefs that will keep you stuck. And last week's belief was the false belief that your sexual brokenness disqualifies you from God's love. So if you missed that episode, hit pause right now, go back uh, and listen to to that, because that's going to help you understand more about what today's belief is, which is that nothing will disqualify you from God's love. And when we say nothing, we mean nothing. And specifically and particularly relevant to our episode today, that means sexual brokenness. Yeah. And so here's the necessary disclaimer. You know, there's too much to tackle in today's episode. We can't cover everything, but we're going to do our best to talk about what we think are the most important pieces regarding this topic. Um, But I I just want to say this. Sexual sin, um, you know, because of its power makes us feel so unworthy of God's love. And, and so many people struggle this with this, whether you're male or female. And so I'm really glad that we're talking about this topic today. Um, you know, and particularly for men, I, I think so many men are missing in action in the church hmm. um, because of sexual brokenness. Uh, they think, you know, if just people knew who I really am, um, you know, you wouldn't love me, you wouldn't want me involved. But as we're going to see, Jesus has a heart for those who struggle with sexual sin. Yeah, there's nothing more than um, the intensity or nothing greater than the intensity of sexual shame around sexual brokenness to keep somebody trapped, isolated, stuck. Austin, you and I were talking a couple of days ago. You had a pretty interesting illustration about kind of how to see this episode. Uh, tell us more. Yeah, so I don't know why this came to my mind, but I was thinking about the difference in viewpoints between being in an airplane as it lands and then watching the airplane land from the ground. You know, if you're in the air and you're looking down at the ground, being in the airplane, that represents all the right and good and true and necessary scriptural truths regarding this topic, particularly about the fact that your sexual brokenness, whatever form it takes, does not disqualify you from God's love no matter what. Those are the truths that we need in the airplane. But then we've got this other perspective, you know, watching the plane from the ground. And if you're on the ground, it means you see the plane, you know it in your mind, you might even be able to recite some of these verses and truths from memory, and yet your experience 
on the ground, on that runway, so to speak, it tells a very different story. You know, on, on the runway, you might be saying and feeling things like, well, that's great if you're up there in the plane, but what about those of us on the ground? What about me? To get specific, what about me who has sexual brokenness in the past or even right now? What about those of us who've been wronged and abused, no matter how severe the abuse might have been? You know, we can go on and on about the different types and levels of experience. And later on, we're going to talk directly to those of you who have experienced sexual abuse. But at this point, I hope you get my point. And John, this is what we were talking about. You know, there's part of us on the ground, on the runway, wishing and hoping and praying and longing for that plane to land in our lives. We want to believe those truths, not just in the clouds with our minds, but on the runway of our felt and our lived experience. Yeah. The other way to say that is there's a head-heart gap. Exactly You can believe God loves you in your head, but does your heart feel it? And is it convinced? Mm-mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's why uh, I'm talking about this illustration, because it captures what our goal and our hope is for this episode. We want you to walk away with specific uh, concrete airplanes, in other words, these scriptural truths. But then we also want you to know just how to clear the runway of your everyday life, your lived, your felt experience, so that those truths can land. And you can, John, just as you said, close that head, heart gap and know and experience in a deeper way the fact that nothing disqualifies you from God's love, especially your sexual brokenness. By the way, these concrete airplanes fly. I just want to point that out. They just fly. Like, they do. <laughs> they do. Yeah. You know, I, I saw a, a concrete canoe that floats. So. One time. And so these are concrete airplanes that fly. Yeah. So, you know, I was on my soapbox there for a minute. Uh, Shay, you just talked about concrete airplanes. But any other thoughts or comments just on, you know, we've been talking about? Yeah. Three very specific airplanes, to use this analogy, that we want to talk about. Shay, give us the first two. Okay. The the first one is, I want you to think about that this is what we've got to know in our heads. And then hopefully we're going to translate it to our hearts. Okay. But the first one, the first airplane is, is we've got to think about God's heart and love for the sexually broken. Think about God's heart and love for the sexually broken. Um, the, the private stories or the private planes, if you will, that we see all throughout Scripture, right? You know, I, <clears throat> I was trying to come up with some of these just off the top of my head. But, but think about all the sexual brokenness that we see in the Bible, where, right? There's Rahab the harlot. Uh, the, the whole book of Hosea, where he's married to Gomer, an adulterer, and God says, keep taking her back. And in some sense, the, that whole book is just a metaphor of God's love for us when we forsake him for other gods. Well, that's important because what's being said there is we're adulterers. That's and exactly God right. never gives up on he us. He never gives up on us. Uh, there's David and Bathsheba. Um, there's the woman at the well who's had several husbands, and the man she's living with now isn't her husband. And, and Jesus sees her and, and wants a relationship with her and says, I'm going to give you a living water so that you'll never thirst again. Singles are out. Yeah. M- Mary Magdalene, um, the, the woman caught in adultery in John 8, and Jesus forgives her of her sin. And then what tells her to go and, and, and sin no more? Or one of my favorite stories, guys, remember Jesus goes to the house of Simon the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7, and he's reclining at the table, and and a woman who is a prostitute comes in. uh, She breaks up this dinner party, if you will, because nothing is going to keep her from getting to Jesus. 
uh, you know, she's perhaps heard of his miracles and who he is and his love for people like her. And she takes this perfume that she would have used to allure men and she washes his, she washes Jesus's feet with it. And tears are just flowing down her cheeks. And, and, and what was Simon the Pharisee's reaction? Well, what, what he, he thinks, wait a minute. It, this guy can't be the Messiah because he would allow someone like this adulterous woman to, to touch him. He's done with Jesus, right, at that point. But Jesus welcomes sinners. And he tells the parable of the two debtors right after this to, get, to help Simon see the point. And, and he says this, one owed 500 denarii, another one owed 50, but the lender forgives them both. And so he asks the question, you know, who will love him more? Who will love the, the lender more? Well, the one who owed 500, which is presumably this woman. But the point of that story, the point of that parable is, is that neither debtor can pay, whether you owe 50 or you owe 500. Yeah, Shay, you know, I'm thinking about the reality of this woman's a prostitute. If you were going to look very uncharitably at her, as Simon did, all he sees is all the things that she's done. This is terrible. This disqualifies her. Jesus sees that. He knows that. And what does he do? He says, those things that you've done, they don't disqualify you. I want you come and he welcomes her. And that seems like is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. That's the heart of Jesus right there. Yeah, th- that's exactly right, Austin. See, Simon thinks he's better than this woman. Hmm. And at judgment day, yeah. God is going to grade on a curve. And we think the same thing. We, we think, you know, we'll show up with our good works and say, God, it's time to pay. You owe me for what I've done. My good outweighs the bad. But Jesus's point in this story is that God doesn't grade on a curve. All you need to be forgiven is nothing and see your need for him, like this woman. But very few people see their need. But it's people like this woman who knows their sin who are forgiven. And there are so many stories like this in the Bible of people finding forgiveness in a relationship with Jesus because of their sexual sin. So many stories of people looking to find satisfaction in other things, and they realize that Jesus is the bread of life who truly satisfies. Well, the other thing about this story that makes it come to life is for a woman in that day and time to let her hair down in public, which she did to wipe Jesus's feet as she was crying over him, was an equivalent in our culture of a woman exposing herself Mm. and being nude in Mm. public. It was just not done. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus, it's very shocking. Mm -hmm. And so Simon would have had a shocked response. And Jesus is very comfortable with her touching him, letting her hair down, and he does not pull away from her. In other words, he takes her shame and her brokenness onto himself in front of this Pharisee that was judging everything. And welcomes yeah. And welcomes. Yeah. So Jesus doesn't pull away from us. That's exactly right. So, so the first point, that the, the first hair plan I want you to see, the first truth is all throughout Scripture, we see God's love and heart for those who struggle with sexual sin. Okay? My second airplane, the second thing I, I want you to see is, and really the, the story there in Luke 7 leads into this, it's the gospel. It's the jumbo 747, if you will. See, think about the gospel. The gospel says this, we're more sinful than we could ever imagine, 
yet in Jesus we're more forgiven than we could ever dream. The gospel says, and and this is what Augustine, this is what Luther, this is what Christians have come to realize over the past 2,000 years, and hopefully the light goes on for you today, that no matter what you've done and think that God can't love someone like me, I want you to know that there is forgiveness in Jesus, and he will never hold that sin against you. Because the Bible says two things. Well, actually three. It says, first of all, all of our sins are counted as Jesus' sins on the cross, where he paid the penalty for them that we deserved. So you're telling me that everything I've done or ever will do is wiped off the table and the concept of am I good enough is no longer in play. That's exactly right. That, that means all of our past, all of our present, and our future sins are put on Jesus at the cross. So if somebody listens to this episode and a week from now acts out sexually, that's forgiven. It's already. forgiven. It was paid for Jesus by Jesus at the cross. You want to talk about not having an experiential category for something like that. There it is. I'll speak for myself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and, and not just that J- Jesus died for sins generally. What I'm saying is, is Jesus died for your sin. Mm-hmm. It was your sin, my sin, that was laid on him. Okay, that's the first thing. But then secondly... I mean, that's an incredible love. It's incredible, and I, I want you to understand that. But then secondly, because of that, God says that by faith we're declared righteous. It's a legal term. In other words, in his sight, we're declared forgiven and righteous even though we're not. And that means that God, you were saying this, John, will never hold our sins against us. Hmm. So does sexual sin disqualify you with you with God? No. And and not only that, thirdly, okay, it gets even better, guys, okay? The third thing is from now, now on as Christians, God sees us as righteous. In other words, he thinks of us as righteous because he sees us in Jesus. That's the gospel. You know, the early church fathers would even talk about us being little Jesuses. <laughs> is that right? I'm, I'm not joking. Really? Yeah. I think yeah. it, was, it was it Irenaeus? I don't know. No, one man. of the early church fathers said we're like little Christs. Yeah. yeah. And what yeah. that what that makes me think of is, you know, in reformed theology in particular, they get it right that you know, we're sinners, they're starting from Genesis 3, but Shay, it sounds like what you're saying is because of Jesus's death and resurrection and because now we are viewed as righteous, God sees us from Genesis 1 and 2 with value and dignity in the same way that Jesus does. Is that, is that yeah, right? Yeah, God loves us in Jesus. There's mm-hmm. no condemnation for those who are, who are in him, as Paul tells us in Romans 8. And, and that, because God accepts us and loves us, it, it, it frees us, right, to obey him and to live for him. Uh, we, we love, right, because he first loved us. And, and so I think that, guys, we have to get this deep in our souls especially when it comes to our past sexual sins, that nothing, and I mean nothing, can separate us from God's love. And that leads us to the third airplane that you wanted to talk about, John. Yeah, we can riff on this. It's at the end of Romans chapter 8, where Paul says, nothing, neither life nor death, nor any other created thing, can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Life and death covers everything. Right. Like nothing. Nothing. And that 
is so hard to get into our everyday lives um, that we are loved that much. And we are. Uh, Years ago, I heard a woman tell a story about a guy trying to get her into the backseat of his car. They were young, making out, doing their thing, and he kept pressuring her to have sex. This is a preacher's wife telling this story. It was a beautiful story. And finally, the guy got so frustrated, he said, the only reason you won't have sex with me is because you're afraid of what your dad's going to do to you if he finds out. And she looked at him and said, I'm not afraid of that. I'm afraid of what it would do to my father's heart. Hmm. I mean, she knew that she was loved and she did not want to violate that love. So over time, over a lifetime, when you get that settled into your heart, uh, Tim Keller talks about it coming up from the bottom and supplanting and outgrowing lesser loves. Yeah. It's a greater love. It's so good. But so, we're forgiven yeah. in the process. Yeah. So so going forward here in our discussion, what I want us to see is the, the, the what do we got to drill down into our head and even keep going back to is we've got to um, understand God's love and his heart for sinners, that there is forgiveness in Jesus and nothing that we can do can separate us from God's love. Love has us. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to wrap up there for the first part and we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll get real practical. Right, Austin? You got it. Great. We'll be right back in a jiffy, but we want to take a quick pause to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you're hearing, think about texting this episode to a friend. And find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. Okay, we're back, and we've been talking about these three airplanes that are crucial to know. And yet, if you're like me in a lot of ways, you're probably thinking, how can I actually not just know them, but believe them and experience them? And we're speaking directly to you because now we're going to talk about three specific things that you can do to clear that runway, so to speak, of your lived and felt experience so that we can believe them not just with our heads and with our hearts. So here's the first one. We need to know a crucial relational equation. And here it is. Honesty plus vulnerability equals connection. That would be H plus V equals C. Thank you, Professor John. I'll say it again. (laughs) Honesty plus vulnerability equals connection. And when I say connection, I'm talking about being known and Mm. valued and respected and loved and dignified, not as the people that we want to be, but as the people that we are right now. We're talking about knowing and feeling these things. Now, specifically with regard to sexual brokenness, this means that over time, slowly but surely at your own pace, which we're going to talk more about in a minute, we have to be honest about what has been done to us and what we've done to others. Not just honesty with others, but we have to be honest with ourselves as well. And so this can mean, you know, finding a person, maybe it's just one person that you trust, that you know is not going to try to fix you, but is going to listen. Maybe it's a group that you share with and talk with, not just about what happened, but how it impacted you then and now. You know, this can mean finding that uh, maybe mentor or a counselor to share your struggles with, maybe things that you're tempted by, not so that they can just beat you up or make you feel worse than you already do, 
but so that they can help you bear those burdens. You know, I, I've always heard the term accountability group. I get the well-intent meeting, but a lot of times those are just, let's just come and beat the crap out of each other. I like the term advocacy. An advocate is somebody who helps you and is willing to be with you and encourage you rather than just kind of play cop. Um, you know, Allender has an interesting way, Dan Allender, of phrasing this. Instead of accountability groups, he calls them recountability hmm. partners, yeah. meaning hmm. that when you're with this person, you are recounting the events of the hmm. day, the week, the yeah. month that you struggle with. Instead of accounting, which right. oftentimes people kind of get into these relationships where, okay, I'm going to count the number of times I lusted. Yeah. And yeah. it's shaming. Yeah. yeah. And there's no freedom in it. Or or you hate going to it because you think, uh, you know what, they're going to look down upon me and you start to lie. Right. I mean, it just doesn't, yeah. it doesn't seem to help. Right. right. Yeah. I do a, a group and have for six years. And one of the things that we encourage men to do is if you have relapsed, if you have acted out, Come to group and talk about it because you can relapse after relapse after relapse. And if the gospel's true, eventually right. the coin is going to drop. But what you need is the experience of, man, guys, I'm still submerged in this yeah. and I need mercy. Yeah. And that, you know, that that equation, and you're going to talk about your group in a little bit and more, that equation has played out really well. It's honesty and vulnerability equals connection. And if and when you do this and you're met with compassion and graciousness and empathy over time, you are going to get the experience of a plane that has landed in the runway of your life. Let me give you an example. So Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I don't think I need to tell you that sexual brokenness can leave you brokenhearted and crush your spirit. And yet, if and when you can clear the runway of much of your lived experience by being honest and vulnerable, then you're not just going to cognitively know that the Lord is near, but you're going to begin to feel it more and more. Yeah, Austin, I, I think, you know, another thing kind of to, to land the airplane, so to speak, and clear the runway is, let, let's not forget, right, First John 1, 9, John says this, if we you know, when we struggle with sin, let's, let's, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. So we know that in Jesus, like legally we're forgiven, right? But when we confess our sins, there, there's something about that act that restores our fellowship with God. But also the Bible talks about what you've been talking about is, is that we're to confess our sins to each other. And that there's something healing about finding someone mm. who loves you and you can trust and you can be open with about your life. Mm. Um, <clears throat> for me, that that's my my men's group I, I, I lead. I, I, I've seen over the years how freeing it has become when someone just admits, you know what, guys, I'm going to stop pretending. And I have a problem and I need your help and I've got to address this issue in my life and I need your love and your help and not your judgment at, at this point. And, and when guys get to that point, to find a group where you can trust one another and to be able to open and honest about your sin with one another, it's, it's, it's freeing, it's, it's healing in our lives. Um, because the reality is, is that we all have sin we're dealing with, right? We, we think wrongly that everyone else has it together except me. But you know what? If, if you knew the sin in my heart, 
My, I'm speaking personally right now. Shay Roush, if you knew the sin in my heart, you wouldn't be listening to me on this podcast, okay? Mm-hmm. But you know what? If I knew the sin in your heart right now and the things that you've done in your past, the feeling might be mutual. Yeah. So, so find someone that you can be honest with about your life and stop hiding and pretending. I, I will just mention this. I think... Um, I, th- I think sometimes that 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 probably shouldn't be your spouse. I, I don't know. You guys are the counselors. Maybe you want to weigh in on this, <laughs> but um, it, it probably would be someone other than your spouse. There's some things maybe that you just need to find a, another person in your life that you can be open and honest with. Yeah. To that point, what I see happen a lot, especially with men, is they'll come in if I'm doing marriage counseling, and I'll find that guys, if they struggle sexually, they want to be free of that guilt, and they end up telling their wives things because they treat their wives like a mom, like, mom, I stole the cookie, can mm-hmm. I feel better now? Yeah. Or a priest where they have to confess their sins, but that's an unjust, undue burden to put on a partner. Um, you need somebody outside of your marriage to unload on. To help carry that burden. That doesn't mean you're going to hide things from your partner. It just means you're not going to treat your partner like your mom or your priest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's really, that's a really good point. And, you know, last thing I'll say on this, uh, with this relational equation, honesty and vulnerability equals connection. I know we've been speaking a lot, particularly to guys, because for most, not all, but for most, Mm -hmm. this isn't natural. Uh, For women, I think this is something that they do much more naturally and is something that really I can learn from and I'm very surprised by it, how open and honest women can be and tend to be. So that's just one of the things, if nothing else, maybe for women, this relational equation seems a little more natural. Well, and for guys, it might not feel so natural because it's, it's difficult. I will say this, women get relationships faster than men do. And I think it's by design, God's design and yeah. wiring. Because women bring life into the world. Right. They exactly nurture right. life in their bodies. Exactly right. They're wired differently. They know how to <clears throat> nurture and they can detect when right. something relationally is off. However, <laughs> I will say this. That doesn't mean that women know how to be intimate with each other. They socialize using their emotions. And sometimes that gets confused for real intimacy sure. and vulnerability. Sure. So men and women are very, very similar in right. that way. Both need to learn how to do vulnerability and be intimate, disclosing good and bad parts of their hearts. Right. Women just tend to relationally be a little more keen yeah. than men. Yeah, I think for guys, it's it's a false sense of masculinity because guys buy into the lie that they think that to be a real man, that means you just suck it up. You never right. have relationships where you right. where you can be open and honest. And, and and that's not good. That's not a healthy view of masculinity. But 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 true, I think masculinity right takes ownership of your life and seeks to find help and 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 seeks to grow in these areas because when you're struggling with these sins, it's taking you down a path, and you're becoming a person that you don't want to be. That's great, right. That's right? I sense another series in the future. Yep. <laughs> it's great. Well, it's so coming first. But anyway, first uh, first way to clear the runway was that relational equation. Here's the second one: prepare for a marathon, not a hundred yard dash. You know, the hundred yard dash. It's a quick race. It's over before you know it. And if you're taking this approach and trying to clear the runway and land the plane, you're going to be disappointed because you're not seeing change quick enough. You know, maybe, well, I talked with somebody, I confessed the sin, I've gone a week straight without relapse. Why can't I feel more? 
right? And, and when you do this, you're also going to increase shame and guilt you experience in your life because you're going to maybe will begin saying things like, oh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be better? Why can't I heal faster? Why can't I become whole? You know, I, I, this, so it's a, it's a marathon. It doesn't happen just like that. I'm curious from you guys, where and how have you seen this approach, you know, played out with regard to people's attempts to heal from their sexual brokenness? Any thoughts or stories? Oh, my goodness. Um, going back to your thought, Shay, of needing people to know you and needing to talk about where you struggle so you're not so alone with it. That is so powerful. And to your question about 100-yard dash versus marathon, um, I am thinking of one person I've been working with for six years. And this person six years ago would sit and say, I just, I don't get that God loves me. I just don't get it. I am so blended with my shame and acting out and I'm not getting any better. And God just, he must be so disappointed in me. This would happen over and over and over again. But here's the cool thing. I am now teaching another group with this guy. And guess what he's teaching the group? How much God loves them and how much he struggles with that. In mm. other words, after six years of being known, he is now feeling, I am loved at some level. It takes time. It takes intentional engagement yep. in being known and knowing other people. And that will change who you are over yep. time. That is God's antidote. Yeah. Connection. Yep. That's right. And so, you know, if you hear that and maybe you've been doing some efforts and it feels like two steps forward, five steps back, that's normal. It takes time. And I would say, you know, keep at it. And remember, it's a marathon, not a hundred yard dash. Okay, third and final way that you can clear the runway of your life to help land those planes, just remember this, our actions have consequences. Now, let me preface this one by just explaining an important assumption here. We need to separate, and we do this because the Bible does it, who we are from what we do. Who we are is God's child, son or daughter, loved, end of story, period, no matter what we do or don't do. That's the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. um, and yet... God doesn't always love or approve of the things that we do. You know, if you've got kids, you know this very well. We love them, but we don't love it when they come to the room at 5.30 a.m. to try and pet the dog. <laughs> right. So, you know, with that in mind, we need to know that our actions have consequences. I used to tell my kids, go sleep with the dog. Yeah, <laughs> out, out back. <laughs> so actions have consequences, right? When you touch a hot stove, what happens? You get burned. Mm. That's the negative side of it. But there's a positive side to this as well. If you're wanting to live a healthier lifestyle, if you start eating healthier and exercising more regularly, well, guess what? No surprise, you're going to feel better and maybe even lose a few pounds. Now, here's what this means with regard to our sexuality. Let me say it simply, and then I'll unpack it more. Any form of sexual acting out or a relapse, that does not compromise God's love or God's presence but it will impact your ability to recognize and experience it. All right, go back mm -hmm. over that again. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So any form of sexual acting out or relapse, that doesn't mean God is gone. God is still there with you, but it's going to hinder and impact your ability to recognize his presence. And so if and when we continue to act out sexually in a way that does not conform to the biblical sexual ethic prescribed by Jesus, then we're not going to experience God's presence as much as we want to. So you're saying that God's love is constant, 
Like it, let's like say the it, sun in the sky. Let's say it's raining, right? You're going to get wet. But when you act out sexually and it, it begins to impact your experience of God, it's like putting a raincoat over your heart. You can't feel the rain. Exactly Even right. though it's mm-hmm. there and it's exactly hitting you. Exactly right. And I think that's why that first, you know, we mentioned this earlier, that First John 1, 9, that conf- why the Bible talks about confession and, and all of that to restore that, that fellowship, so to speak, with God. Yeah. You know, it's a story that comes to my mind. Years ago, I was meeting with a college student who was, he was really fighting to love Jesus and follow him. And yet he was struggling with pornography and addiction. Uh, a pornography addiction. You know, he wanted so badly not just to know God with his head, but to know him in his experience. And yet he had an addiction. I mean, he was watching porn one to two hours a day. Now, did that mean God didn't love him anymore? Absolutely not. If he would stop, would God love him even more? No, because God's love is steadfast and enduring and stubborn and fierce and strong, no matter what you do or don't do. And yet for this guy, he could not experience that love because of what he was doing. And so all that to say, our ability to experience God's love can be determined by our actions, which is the point. Our actions have consequences. John, you have a story about consequences, right? Remember um, that you told a guy one time there could be consequences for his sin if he doesn't stop. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. An old mentor of mine who was also a therapist had a client. Client was really struggling with some stuff that like could get him into big trouble. And he was sitting in my friend's office saying, man, I, I just, I really like can't stop doing what I'm doing and I'm really struggling with this. And I mean, God must hate me. And my therapist friend said, no, you know, God is going to love you just the same. And so am I, I just don't want to love you in prison. (laughs) It's a great story. It's a great line. I even used that with some clients. Right. In other words, if he keeps doing the stuff he's doing, he's going to end up in prison. I'll love you, but it's going to be in prison. And he didn't want that for you. Yeah, I told a client one time, would you do me a favor? Like, please, I really don't like going to prisons, like to meet with people. Would you please not do this? Because I don't want to come to a prison and visit you. But I will, because I love you. It's the same thing. John, John, you're a good therapist, John. Can oh, I, thanks, Shay. Can I give a, just a, a little bit of a pushback and maybe a more practical point under this? What would you say to someone who believes that any form of sexual temptation is a sin? How do you splice that out between temptation and sin? Yeah, real simple. Temptation is something that's there that tempts you and you have a choice to act on it or not. So having the temptation is not a sin. Acting on that temptation is what's going to get you in trouble. Yeah, yeah, that's well said. Yeah, there's a difference between the two. Jesus was tempted, right? And Absolutely. yet did not sin. Right. I get tempted all the time. And so we're on, we're talking about sexuality. Our culture, we are bombarded mm-hmm. with thousands of images every single day that tempt us sexually. And just seeing them or even being interested or drawn to beauty. Like that is not a sin. Right. right. And so very practically under this point, what can you begin to do? You can begin to notice where are you being tempted? What are your triggers? You know, are you getting some emotional connection from a coworker? Are they taking an interest in your life more than your spouse? 
and you're starting to be drawn to that because somebody is wanting to see you and know you, well, that's a trigger. That's a temptation that uh, you need to be aware of. So that's just, just one other way. Okay, actions have consequences. Specifically, what you can do is just start looking for triggers and temptations, right? John, I want to hear, we were talking about this and I love it. Bounce the eyes. Yeah. John's triggered right now. Say more about that tactic of what I heard growing up is, hey, if you see a, a beautiful woman on campus, you get to bounce the eyes. Don't be tempted. What would you say to somebody who does that? Yeah, we don't like the bounce the eyes thing. Why not? Um, because it makes it worse. It makes the problem worse. And it's very popular in the church to think this way because it sounds spiritual. Like I'm going to look away and I'm going to avoid this and... Like that's spiritual. But what happens over time if and when you do that? The problem is if you just attack temptation with willpower, mm -hmm. um, it makes the problem worse. An analogy I like is it's like taking a beach ball in the deep end of a pool and trying to push it down to the bottom. And the further down you push it, the more force it mm. pushes upward with. Mm -hmm. And that's what bouncing the eyes does because all you're doing is saying, okay, I'm going to square off with sin and I'm going to white knuckle it and willpower my way out of this. The fault with that is that our wills are fallen. Mm. We tend to yeah. think our willpower for some reason hasn't been affected by the fall. And yeah. that's weird. Yeah. yeah so I'm, when you're, when you're tempted at what I hear you guys saying is, so thinking about dead kittens is not over the long run going to be successful. Think that, about dead, Shay, <laughs> let me make sure I get what you're saying. Think of a dead kitten instead of the beautiful woman over there. Right. Is that what yeah, you're saying? So that's okay. not going to work. That's is not... that what I'm hearing? What What is the solution? It's not bouncy eyes. So <laughs> or, give us a solution. Yeah, yeah. What do you recommend to help people deal with temptation? All right. So first of all, you have to play on God's turf when you're dealing with the enemy because he's very strategic. If you just bounce your eyes, implicit in that is this desire I have is bad. Well, guess what? It's good. Mm -hmm. Like if you're drawn to beauty, if you're drawn to sex, if you're interested in sex, that is a very good and godly desire that God has wired into you. And to bounce the eyes and just try to get rid of that is basically saying what God's designed here is not good. And the enemy wants you to think that. So the first thing to do, this is John Tennant's remedy. And I forget where I got this, but I, I like it. Is one, God, thank you that I am attracted to this man or this woman. Mm -hmm. The desire that I have is a good desire. Yeah. But Jesus, help me to treat this person like they belong to you. They're your son, your daughter. Help me to love them like you do yeah, because love will preserve and it will protect and it will nourish it never consumes so the first thing to do is gee lord thank you for this desire you've created me this way and you created this beauty that i'm looking at but help me to love this beauty like you do that's so good john we're, we're to love god but love our neighbor as ourselves and so when that temptation comes if we think you know what this is a child of god I want to love them. I want to care for them. I want what's good for them. I don't want to use them. Yeah, you bring Jesus yeah. into it like right away. Yeah. Then you, you don't build a narrative or a story in your head, which usually happens in about two nanoseconds. Mm -hmm. Like you don't go down the path of, well, what would it be like to 
be with that person? Yeah. What would it be like to enjoy them sexually? Don't go down that path. That's what Paul says, flee youthful lusts to Timothy. Get the heck out of there. Mm-hmm. First thing, thank you, God, for the desire. Thank you for the beauty. This is good. Help me to love this person like you do. Then you don't build a narrative, distract yourself, and open your heart to Jesus. What is going on with me? What do I really want? Because there's always a deeper desire. Do I want affirmation? Do I want someone to delight in me? Do I want comfort? Do I want safety, power, security? What is it? What's going on in my heart? It seems like this approach, rather than just shutting off parts of ourselves, it opens it up and it has a dialogue and it says, what's going on here? Help me understand. And that will lead to curiosity and that will lead to more self-knowledge and awareness and a realization that, wow, God and Jesus is actually here and has given me good desires. And let's flee temptation. Let's be able to know what's a sin, what's not a sin. That's really, really good. If you're bouncing your eyes, you are not engaging your soul. You are not engaging your heart. So so there's some self-analysis then that goes on. What is my heart really after? What do I feel like God is not providing for me that I have to act out? And I have to do this. I have to find it apart from his will for my life, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. What's yeah. happening with yeah. me? Where's what's, what's my heart happening? going? Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. Wow. So we've been all over the place, and this is great. We've Let me just sum up where we've been. We've talked about these three specific and practical ways for you to clear the runway of your life so that you can land that plane and begin to know and experience the truth that nothing will disqualify you from God's love. And here's the three things. Know that relational equation. Honesty plus vulnerability equals connection. Prepare for a marathon, not a 100-yard dash, and realize that our actions have consequences for better and for worse. And so we also, we wanted to end today by speaking directly to those of you who have been sexually abused in some way. Now, we can't say everything, but we just wanted to say something small and yet significant. What would you guys say to those Well, first of all, there's a very strong correlation in research Mm -hmm. between uh, sexual addiction or compulsive pornography use and sexually acting out and sexual abuse. Mm. That it's a very high percentage. It's up in the 80 percentile. People who really struggle with this, Mm. a high percentage have a background with sexual abuse, which ounce for ounce wounds you more Mm -hmm. than just about anything else. And, 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 I think it's surprising the numbers, what what you said, but also just the numbers of people out there who have been sexually abused at some point in in their life. It's part of their story, right? And it... it, it, And it doesn't have to be hugely traumatic. No. It can be grow... And I I hear this all the time. Um, Little kid grows up in a household, dad leaves um, pornography on the computer or magazines in the bathroom or places where the kiddo can find them. And that is a form of sexual abuse because you're introducing, by not protecting your kids from it, you're introducing them to it at an age where they're very vulnerable. Yeah, and and maybe what I would say to this, Austin, my first thought, the first thought that comes to my mind is, is God hates evil. God hates that, that, that those things were done to us, that we were exposed to that. God's heart is, God's close to the brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a hatred of evil that, that, that um, but he also loves us and is with us and, and cares for those who um, have been victims of sexual abuse. Absolutely. Well you... said. Well said. Yep. The other thing I would say, and again, like I said, we can't say everything. I would say take things day by day. 
healing can come and hopefully has come, but it takes time. And I would say, you know, trust your instincts and your gut reactions. You know, if you're not feeling safe somewhere or in a situation or maybe even sexually in your marriage, then, then I would say, easy for me to say, but I would say stop. Honor the parts of you that have hesitations and that are concerned and are worried. Slow down. And if you're trying to lean into and explore and enjoy your sexuality with your spouse and it's not going the way that you wanted to and maybe your body keeps shutting down, that's okay. That is totally normal. There's nothing wrong with you. Your body knows what it needs. And so give yourself time, give yourself space, give yourself grace. And last thing I would say, if you haven't already, find some professional help, find a counselor, find a group. We've got, John, we were talking about a really good resource, maybe even just to get things started. Well, I want to mention two resources for our listeners. One is John Michael Cusick's book, Surfing for God. Mm -hmm. Excellent resource, Mm -hmm. one of the best things out there that's dealing with sexual brokenness from a very heart level. And the other one is if you have sexual abuse in your background, Diane Langberg's book on the threshold of hope. And we'll try and put those in the show notes for people. It's good. Yeah. So I think we've said enough because we can't say everything, but we'll do more on this in future episodes. So So guys, we're going to land this plane. We're right here. <laughs> it's landed. And I would say, you know, we've we've gone for a while. I just want to thank you so much for listening. If this has been helpful, we always say it. Send it to a friend. Um, and just remember, this is the beginning, right? This is not the end. This is the beginning. And more and more, we can, when you can believe these airplanes and clear the runway, we're going to close that head and that heart gap. So thanks so much for being with us. And can't wait to see you next time. From air traffic control with you in the weeds, we're <laughs> signing out. <laughs> Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at withyouintheweeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.